Our text this morning is Luke chapter 12, verses 8 through 12. Luke 12, 8 through 12. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Let's pray. Uh, Father, these are serious words that Christ gives us. Serious words that he spoke to his disciples that in turn speak to us now, 2,000 years later. Father, I pray that you would give us sanity to take serious and to value our soul. Father, the Lord taught us that even if we gained the whole world and gave up our soul, it would be a horrible transaction. So God, I pray that you would grant by your spirit this morning a sense of sanity, of reality, of proper perspective on our life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What will you do with Jesus that ultimately is going to be the most defining reality in your life? This was challenged in the most extreme ways for in many Christians throughout the ages. Many people had to answer this question with their life. I just want to read a few briefly at the beginning to give us a, a sense of brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone before us. There are more than two. 115 million persecuted Christians worldwide, according to the 2018 World Watch list. 215 million persecuted Christians worldwide. That is astounding to think. Those who've been taught to love their enemies are treated in that way because we live in a world that is not based on logic, but we live in a world that is raging in spiritual warfare. Raging against the spirit of truth. Justin Martyr, also known as St. Justin, was born in the Roman city of Flavia Neapolis in 100 AD. Though he was raised by pagan parents, he found truth through Christ. 
He became a philosopher, and his combative defense of the faith eventually made him enemies of the city. In Rome, he and his disciples were arrested for his faith, and he was asked by the prefect to denounce his faith by making a sacrifice to the Roman gods. He responded, If we are punished for the sake of the Lord Jesus, we hope to be saved. And they were taken out, beaten, and beheaded. Their fellow Christians secretly set out to retrieve their bodies and gave them an honored burial as martyrs. They rejoiced that their companions had remained faithful and inherited eternal life. The church worshipped that their brothers and sisters remained faithful unto death. John Huss, moments before his death, the imperial marshal asked John one final time to recant and save his life. John responded, God is my witness that the principal intention of my preaching and all my other acts and writings are solely that I might turn people from sin. And in that truth of the gospel that I wrote, taught, and preached in accordance with the sayings and expositions of the holy doctors, I am willing gladly to die today. And the executioner then started the fire in which he burned. A more modern martyr is a Fulani herdsman in Nigeria named Abdul. Abdul witnessed the brutal persecution of Christians in northern Nigeria, but accidentally hearing about Jesus while passing a church changed his life forever. Raised a flu. A Fulani herdsman, Abdul heartbreakingly recalls the times his own family and friends would attack Christian villages, leaving no survivors. You cannot count the people they killed. They would go into villages and kill the entire village, he says. He even admits that he was involved in orchestrating one murder himself as he recounts with tears his old life. In 2002, he walked past a church by chance and heard a preacher say that Jesus was the only way to heaven. These words filled his mind with questions and his journey for truth began. He began asking those around him questions about Jesus and the Bible. The advice was always the same. Christians are not serious people, and Islam is far, a far superior religion. He wasn't satisfied with the answers. I was at a loss. If Jesus was the way, then I, why was I still following Muhammad? He was desperate to hear the message of Jesus preached again, even though he knew attending church was a risk. On Christmas Day, he sneaked out of his home and attended a church service. He didn't receive Christ that day, but he returned home to find all his belongings outside. 
His mother discovered that he had attended the church and kicked him out. He had nowhere to go. The same night, he had a vivid dream about two paths, and he knew immediately Jesus was speaking to him. That night, even after seeing how my mother reacted, I decided to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord. It didn't matter to me if they wanted to kill me or disown me. I didn't care. I wanted to accept Jesus Christ. His family began trying to convert him back to Islam. They tried using voodoo and threatened to kill him, but he would not renounce Christ. He went to church once more, and when the police uh, officer saw him there, he warned him that he needed to escape. The churches in my town would not accept me as a Fulani, and my family wanted to kill me. This is when he knew he had to leave the state. After leaving, he prayed continually for a place to go where he would be accepted. I prayed to God, I want you to lead me to where I'll learn your word better and where I'll be embraced and accepted. Not long after, his prayers were answered when someone told him about YWAM, Youth with a Mission. He had no money, but a pastor blessed him with finances and encouragement to go. He is still at YWAM and knows he has been blessed and he looks ahead with hope. Or maybe you remember Rachel Joy Scott, who was the first student killed in the Columbine High School shooting. She was a girl who was targeted for her Christian faith. The Columbine killers and students Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold knew that Scott, 17, was an outspoken Christian. Moments before they, her death, they asked her, do you still believe in your God? And she said her last words, you know that I do. And they killed her. And this is just a small few who have confessed Christ in the face of death. Jesus Christ is the watershed truth in the world. He's the watershed person. He's the watershed reality. Your life will go one way or another for all eternity based on Christ. He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. In Luke 11.23, He said, Whoever is not with Me is against Me. Whoever does not gather with Me scatters. In Matthew 10.34, He says this, Do not think I come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. What does a sword do? It cuts things in half. 
For I have come to set man against his father and daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemy will be those of his own household. Whoever loves his father more than me is not worthy of me and whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. With the person of Christ, things are split in half. Listen to Paul to the Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 1.5. Just think about this. This is reality. This is evidence of the righteous judgment for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. And when the Lord Jesus revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, now get the picture, Jesus Christ revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because of our testimony to you was believed. Jesus Christ will come. He will come on the clouds. He will come with the angels. He will come with the flaming fire and there will be two groups of people. There will be those who did not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there will be those who did. And those who did not obey. It says they will suffer punishment. The punishment of eternal destruction. Away from the presence of the Lord. And from the glory of his might. That is a fact. That's reality. That's what truth is. And there will be other people that will see him and they'll say, oh, I know he was glorious. I know he's mighty. There's my Lord. There's the one who died for me. There's my Savior. I get to live with him for all eternity. Revelation 20 verse 11 is a scary text. It's when all men will stand before God. Here's what it says. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and there was no place found for them. You're standing on the earth. You get to look at the sky. In that moment, everything that's been created will go away and it'll be you and God. 
It'll be you and Him. And what it says is, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. There's going to be two people standing before the throne of God. Those with the blood of Jesus Christ covering them so that there's no sin that they carry before that throne. And those same people aren't only going to be sinless, but they're going to have Jesus' robe of righteousness wrapped around them. Jesus' perfect life in their place. And then there will be others. Some of those who we would call the nicest people on the face of the earth. Little old grandmas that love their grandsons and their granddaughters and love their neighbors and give their garden vegetables away and would do anything for you, give the shirt off their back. But who rejected Christ? And that little old grandma will stand with her sin because one sin against a holy God. The eternal God deserves eternal punishment. There's two people. Those who will carry their sins before the throne of God and those who are covered by the blood of Jesus. There is no good ones. There is no good ones. There's those who Jesus says think they're well. He says, I didn't come to save the righteous, those who think they're good. I came to save the sinners, the ones who know they're not good. Jesus is the watershed. And Jesus is talking to his disciples in this passage. And he tells them to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And in verses 1 through 3, he says, don't be a hypocrite because you can't hide anything from God. You can hide things from, things from people, but God sees everything. You have to be insane to try to live a hypocritical life if you know God exposes all things. There will be no one that tricks other people. Everyone will be shown for what they are outside of Christ. Verses 4 through 7, it's a Trinitarian text. He's saying if you don't want to be hypocrites, if you want to avoid the leaven of the Pharisees, you need to reverence the Father. That's in verses 4 through 7. He says, don't fear those who can kill the body. And that's, that's what, they can't do anything after that. I'll tell you who to fear, who to reverence. You see, they wanted to please people. He says, no, live your life to please God. Because not only can he kill your body, but he can condemn your soul to eternal hell. And then he talks about how this father is a loving father. He's so caring that he even cares for the sparrows. How much more will he care for you? And if you want to know how much God cares for you, he knows the most insignificant things of your life. 
down to the very numbers of hairs on your head. And today we're going to look at verses 8 through 12. In verses 8 and 9, we're going to see that we need to confess Christ. And in verses 10 through 12, we're going to see how we need to do that in the truth and power of the Holy Spirit. The way you don't become a religious hypocrite is you love and trust and believe in the Trinitarian God of the Bible. Isn't that interesting? You might not think the Trinity's here, but if you look, they're all there, and this is what Christ gives them. So really, the notes are simple. Confess Christ unto death. And point one is this. Live your life in light of standing before Christ and not men. Look at verse 8. Luke 12, verse 8. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of God will also acknowledge before the angels of God. He's trying to get us thinking about what it's going to be like, how we're going to stand before God in heaven. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. There's a simple, surefire way to avoid persecution as a Christian. Let me give you an illustration. If someone comes up to you with a gun and says, give me your wallet or I'm going to shoot you, you have a choice. Any sane person is going to take their wallet out and toss it to them in a half a second and say, there you go. Because your money and the inconvenience of losing your wallet and your life aren't a comparison in the scales, right? What if someone comes to you like they have to so many Christians and says, deny Christ or I'll shoot you? There's a surefire way out of that. (laughs) No, let me burn incense to the Roman God. I'll deny Christ right here on the spot. Okay, then you're a part of our club. You don't have to worry about anything. You can live a safe life on this earth. It's easy to avoid Christian persecution. You just deny Christ. And then you can save your life for a little bit. And this is what Jesus knew the disciples were going to face in very short order as followers of him. But Jesus had just taught them a true disciple need not fear death. A true disciple knows that the Father cares for them, that their eternal life is in the hands of the Father. We saw that in verses 4 and 5. For they... For the Christian who's living in reality, they're able to put in the scales suffering on this earth temporarily, but suffering eternally, or, uh, or, or living with God eternally, or not suffering temporarily so much and suffering forever in eternity. See, Jesus is giving them reality. He's given them 
the right perspective. But if we're honest, how often do we forget what's real? How often do we fail to remember that we're going to stand before God in the heavens? That that's what truth is. Eternal life apart from God. What a horrible thing. Not only apart from His relational presence, but we talked a few weeks ago, eternal life apart from His creational presence. In hell, it's a bottomless pit. You don't get to stand on a solid surface. It's black. You don't get to see beauty. No one's there to have a relationship with. All these things are gifts of God that we in the unbelieving world take for granted. They won't be there for those separated from the goodness of God for all eternity. The psalmist in Psalm 84.10 says, For one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. One day. Is that reality for you? Chalk up how many days you have left. How many do you have left? I know that Kirk Cousins, the uh, quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings, he has a, he's a Christian man, and he has a bucket, and he took that what the average American male lives in a year are, are in a lifetime. And he took how many months those are, and he grabbed rocks, and he took that many uh, amount of rocks, and he threw them in a bucket, and at the end of every month, he throws another rock away to remind himself how fleeting this life is. What are you doing with your time? What are you living for? What's reality? Do you really think this is going on forever? Do you really think storing up treasures on earth is the way to go? The gospel reminds us of what's true and what matters. For the Jewish disciples that Jesus is talking to, to follow Christ would mean total rejection from the religious establishment of Judaism. You would be accused, in fact, of being satanic if you followed Christ. They said that Jesus does what he does by the power of Satan. Now, I don't know if you can imagine what it would like be like being a Jew. That's not only your religion, that's your culture. And in order to follow Christ would mean that sort of rejection. This is what was facing the disciples. Your family would disown you and you'd be accused of being led astray, of being stupid, of being deceived. Let me show you, help, help you understand this. Turn with me to John chapter 7, starting in verse 45. You have some officers that worked for the chief priests and Pharisees, and they come to them, and the Pharisees say to them, why did you not bring him, being Jesus? The officers answered, no one has ever spoke like this man. 
(laughs) Why didn't you arrest him? I don't know. I've never heard anyone talk like him, they said. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? You see that? You feel that, how hard that would be in reality to have everyone think you're stupid, that you're being deceived, that you're being tricked. And then they say in verse 48, have any of the authorities or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd does not know, or, but this crowd that does not know the law of Moses is accursed. Here's what they say. We're the smart ones. They're, they're all a bunch of idiots. They're all a curse. That's what the religious leaders in Israel thought of their people. What kind of shepherds are those? So you can get the height of persecution. Look at, look at John 9. Just go a few chapters later. And we're going to start reading in verse 18. And here we have a man who's been blind since birth, who's been healed. It's one of my favorite texts in the Bible, I think. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind uh, and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And they asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, for he is of age. He will speak for himself. Now look at verse 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus Christ, Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So the parents are chicken. They know how it happened. But this is how difficult it was to be thrown out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. They're saying, we know that Jesus is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled them saying, you are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, We do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God will listen to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. That gives us a pretty good idea of what it was like to follow Jesus Christ in his day. In John 12, 42, uh, we read, Nevertheless, many, even the authorities, believed in Jesus. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. See, this is a type of believer out there. 
A believer who believes in Jesus will tell you they believe in Jesus, but when it comes down to it, they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God, so that if they stand there challenged with their life, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to go with what they love more. They're going to want to please what they love more. The world will never be neutral on Christ, ever. Christianity doesn't just make sense. There's truth in Christ, and there's Satan and his demons and the fallen human heart that hate it. It's a battle. There's two ways. There is no neutral person. You might think, well, what about the person that says anyone can believe what they want? That person's not neutral. Because if I go up to that neutral, in inclusive, pluralistic, tolerant person, and I tell them, you are leading people astray, telling people there's many ways to heaven. You're harming them. You're going to damn them for all eternity. You think they're going to be neutral? You think they're going to say, oh, that's good that you believe that. That's good for you. They won't. There is no neutrality. There are those with Christ and those against Christ. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, or men, the man, Christ Jesus. In Acts 4.11 we read, and there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Living for Christ will bring about persecution. Do you know that? 2 Timothy 3.12 Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You might say, well, no, there's dumb Christians that bring about persecution, but then there's good ones that don't. Wrong. That's not true. There's dumb Christians out there that unwarrantly bring harm upon themselves because they're jerks or because they don't preach out of love. But there's no such thing as the Christian who's following Christ that is smoother than Christ, that figures out how to navigate this world without being persecuted. Here's why. John 15, 18 says this, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. In 1 John 3.12, John says this, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. See, if you desire to live a godly life and you start to grow in righteousness, people are going to hate you for it. Because that's light that shines into their life that they don't want to see. 
John 3.19 says this, this is the judgment. Light is coming to the world, but the people love darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. That's why when you're in unrepentant sin, you avoid people that shine light into your life because you don't want to feel conviction. Right? A cockroach hates the light, scurries. If you desire to live a godly life, if the Holy Spirit begins transforming you into the image of Christ, and if you start sharing the gospel with the people you love, you will be persecuted. It's true. It's guaranteed, actually. And so Jesus says, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the man... The Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of heaven, but the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Jesus is telling them, hey, get the right perspective. I realize it's a temptation to please the people around you, but you're going to stand before God in the presence of all of his angels one day. Who do you really want to please? You see, it's a sort of test of reality. Do I really love Jesus or do I not love Christ? And then verse 10 almost sounds like a contradiction. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. It's like, what? The one who denies Christ will be denied before God. And then this says, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. At first glance, it seems like a contradiction, but it's not. If speaking a word against the Son of Man was an unforgivable sin, then no one could be saved. Because if you're, not for, if you're not with Christ, you're against Him. And all of us are born against Him. We just got to look at Peter's life, who denies Him three times the same day he said, I'll never deny Him. But then what does Peter do? Peter weeps. And he repents and he trusts Christ. And thank God we can be forgiven for our life. Anytime you've ever lived a selfish day of your life, you're in rebellion to Christ because he's bought you with a price. He's the king of the world. You're to live for his kingdom, not your own kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Thank God that we can repent of sin and be forgiven. So what hope is there? Well, what's the work of the Holy Spirit? In John 16, 7, he says this, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. The people who are forgiven for their words spoken against the Son of Man are those who have been sensitive and have listened to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the Holy Spirit. Because he says, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. I'll never forget the first time I read that verse. It's like a 10-year-old. I was sure at some point in time I had blasphemed the Holy Spirit and I would not be able to be forgiven. 
I wanted to know exactly what those words sounded like to find out if I'd ever said them. If you've read this text, you've probably been concerned if you've ever blasphemed the Holy Spirit. To reject the Holy Spirit, to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is not to say uh, a certain type of word or a certain type of statement that, that, that can't be undone. But it's to be in consistent rebellion to the work of the Spirit. What's the work of the Spirit? The Spirit confesses Christ. The Spirit points to the gospel of Christ. The unforgivable sin is to deny what the Spirit says, and what the Spirit says is in the Word of God, because the Word of God was inspired by the Holy Spirit. If you want to hear God speak, you read the Word of God and you hear the Spirit of God speak. You can't be forgiven if you reject the Word of God. If you reject what the Word of God reveals about Christ. If you rebel against the conviction of the Spirit, you cannot be saved because no one who doesn't repent can be saved. In fact, no one who hasn't been born of the Spirit can be saved. Now those in Jesus' day, what have they been doing? Jesus has been doing all of His amazing miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. All of His preaching was in the power and truth of the Holy Spirit. And what was the conclusion of the Jews? Satan. Satan. We don't care how amazing the miracle is. We got Moses, and that's not the truth, and you're a sinner, and you're going to be thrown out of the synagogue, and we're going to kill him, and then we're going to make up lies about where his body went. That's what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit looks like. You look smack dab at truth. It's dangerous for you to be here today because the truth of the gospel is being preached to you from God's word, and you'll either receive it and thank God for the truth of the gospel. Or you'll say, you know what? Oh, I hate this. I don't want this. I don't like thinking about this. Don't rebel against the word of God that not only invites you to trust Christ, but commands you to obey the gospel of Christ. Yes, there's invitations in the scriptures to come to Christ. Come to me who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give, give you rest. And then when the apostles preach the gospel often, they preach it as a command. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Do not rebel against the work of the Holy Spirit. What does the Spirit do? The Spirit illumines the Bible. The Spirit writes the Bible. The Spirit empowers the gospel proclamation. The Spirit brings regeneration, new birth so that we can understand it. The Spirit sanctifies the believer into Christ's likeness. Everything the Spirit does is it's highlighting Jesus, pointing people to Jesus. The Spirit is the comforter. He's the teacher. He speaks. He makes decisions. The Spirit grieves over sin. The Spirit overrules human actions. The Spirit searches the deep things of God. 
and knows the thoughts of God. The Spirit determines the distribution of spiritual gifts. The Spirit interprets and brings human prayer before the throne of God. The Spirit assures the believers of their adoption. The Spirit bears witness to and glorifies Christ. When we read these first verses of this text, and if you're not asking, I wonder if I would confess Christ or not, then you aren't listening. You ought to be asking, am I real? Will I last? Well, the Spirit is called the Comforter, the Teacher. Look at verse 11. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. What? Why? For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour, what you ought to say. Let me tell you something. You did not save yourself. The gospel was preached to you and you would have never received it if the Holy Spirit didn't come and lighten your eyes, if the Holy Spirit didn't pluck out the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. The Scripture tells us that God is the author and perfecter of our faith. Our faith wouldn't even burst onto the scene apart from Him. But let me tell you why that's good news. If it was up to you to get yourself saved, it's up to you to keep yourself saved. And the reality is, is if God doesn't keep us, we won't be kept. But for those who have the Holy Spirit inside them, when you're in the most difficult moment of your life, Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to say. I'm going to keep you. One of my favorite verses is Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. I don't love the sovereignty of God because I like controversy. I like the sovereignty of God because I can't have faith that I would remain a Christian if God wasn't the one that started my salvation and if he's not the one who's going to bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Yes, God has told me to walk in step with the Spirit. That's the only way I'll endure. Yes, I have responsibility. But my hope is that the Spirit, when I'm not walking with Him, will convict me, will grab me, will enliven my faith and help me be able to, even unto death, confess Jesus Christ. Father, I pray, I pray, that we would gain perspective this morning. Father, those who lose their life, find it. Your word tells us that in your presence there's fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And Father, our sin separates us relationally from you. Help us hate our sin. Help us get brothers and sisters in Christ around us to help fight our sin. God, I pray right now that you'd be working in people's hearts to say, enough is enough. I just want to give my life to Christ. Whatever the cost, whatever it looks like, however drastic it looks, God, I pray that you'll rip idols out of people's hearts, even right now, that they would treasure Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.